Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, James Christopher, and my focus here at CM Medical is the cardiovascular device market, and I have a special enthusiasm for cardiac electrophysiology. In today's episode, I speak with Avi Fisher, Chief Executive Officer at Electrophysiology Frontiers, about the future of cardiac ablation procedures. We discuss the innovative devices under development which are set to change the landscape of how we treat AFib. Whether you're in the cardiac electrophysiology market, or are interested in pulse field ablation technologies, or are keen to hear insight from an esteemed leader in the space, then be sure to have a listen. Here it is. Hope you enjoy. Firstly, um, thanks for joining, Avi. Uh, we're really excited to have you on the pod. Um, please do share a little more information on yourself and give some insights into the company of Electrophysiology Frontiers. Well, thanks, for, uh, thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here uh, with you on the podcast. Uh, let me start by, um, by describing Electrophysiology Frontiers. So uh, Electrophysiology Frontiers or EP Frontiers or simply EPF, uh, depending on uh, how brief you want to make the, the name. Uh, we're an Italian medtech startup company uh, that's actively developing a very unique catheter ablation system for the treatment of atrial fibrillation. And before I get into the, um, the details about who we are as a company and what we're developing, let me, uh, let me first introduce myself, if that's okay with you, to give you some background. Um, so my name is Avi Fisher. Uh, I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Electrophysiology Frontiers. And I joined EPF last summer uh, during the COVID pandemic. Uh, the company, uh, EPF, was founded in late 2019. Uh, as the company was making progress and beginning to prepare to enter the clinical arena, to begin uh, thinking about and initiating clinical studies, the decision was made uh, to, to look to hire a CEO uh, simply as part of the continued progress and growth of the company. Um, and my background is both in clinical medicine, uh, I'm a physician uh, by training, uh, but also I've spent a number of years uh, as a medical device industry executive. Fantastic, excellent. Um, now, EP, EP Frontiers is certainly doing something which is potentially industry defining. Um, can you explain, I guess, firstly, why and how um, the realization happened that there was this opportunity to really develop and improve um, these single shot catheter ablation systems that are out there today? Um, so really what it comes down to, James, is, is understanding uh, unmet clinical needs. Uh, and, and that was really a lot of the focus of um, of what we were going to develop and, and what the aim was to understand the unmet clinical needs and to try to address those uh, through a really uh, novel system. Um, just as background, you know, despite decades of experience uh, that the clinical community has performing ablations for atrial fibrillation, there's still a need to improve outcomes. And, and that's pretty clear. Uh, pulmonary vein isolation is a key requirement to treat atrial fibrillation. And, and in fact, in many patients, it's the only ablation lesion set that's required. Of course, as, as atrial fibrillation becomes more longstanding, the complexity of the disease increases uh, and additional lesion sets may be required to address uh, other triggers outside of the pulmonary veins uh, or drivers of the arrhythmia, uh, again, outside of the pulmonary uh, veins. And in those cases, there's no standard accepted approach, you know, for when it becomes more longstanding, more complex, 
Many operators have sort of their standard set of lesions. In general, however, for the more chronic, long-standing uh, atrial fibrillation patient, uh, it's patient-specific. Having said that, everybody really requires uh, pulmonary vein isolation. And so uh, when we thought about the challenge, when the company thought about the challenge, the ch fundamental challenge that still needs to be resolved today, uh, again, after decades of, of experience, um, and, and um, the, the challenge is how does one achieve durable and long-standing pulmonary vein isolation? And more important, perhaps even than that, because I, I think we know what the what the target is. But one of the one of the challenges and one of the aims is to be able to create a more broadly adoptable approach to to achieving pulmonary vein uh, isolation, an approach that can be safely and easily performed by a, a broader group of physicians and thereby allowing broadening of the access uh, and increased access to this important therapeutic option uh, for patients. And, and so to some extent, you know, these were the needs that defined our goals at EPF, at Electrophysiology Frontiers, how to create uh, a safe, that goes without saying safety, right? So how to create a safe, easy, easily reproducible uh, and adoptable procedure uh, that can deliver durable circumferential lesions around the pulmonary veins and, and achieve long-standing pulmonary vein isolation and freedom from atrial fibrillation. For sure. Um, it's interesting you touch on um, the accessibility of cardiac ablation um, and how important it is that everybody has access to having that um, to treat their atrial fibrillation. Um, however, globally, the penetration of ablation still remains quite low in the eligible AFib patients, that is, um, approximately 3% or so. In your opinion, what can be done to change this and really improve the access to this such important treatment option? I think you you, um, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is a, this is a global uh, problem. Uh, there are, again, depending on the numbers you look at, there are, let's just pick a, an easy to remember number, close to 50 million people in the world who suffer from atrial fibrillation. And um, the lifetime risk for a man and a woman of developing uh, atrial fibrillation during their lifetime is something like one in four. And certainly the problem is increasing rapidly. Uh, this is this is a global problem where uh, the risk factors, so not just is atrial fibrillation as a disease increasing in prevalence, but all of the risk factors associated with atrial fibrillation are increasing as well. And, and by that, I mean increasing age. That, that's often considered the number one risk factor is, is age. As people get older, atrial fibrillation becomes uh, more common and the world is getting older and older people are living uh, even longer. And, and so uh, associated with age, high blood pressure, which is increasing in, in frequency, diabetes mellitus, uh, uh, which is increasing in frequency, obesity, all of these sort of Western sort of uh, lifestyle issues are increasing around the world. And, and yes, this is a global problem. So what we aim and, and really what the clinical community aims to do is to innovate in a way that can broaden that access. You, you, incre you, know, you increase the likelihood of a of a clinician or a physician adopting a procedure because they understand it, because it's safe, because it's easy, because it's consistently reproducible. Then the waiting lists for uh, access for patients in turn uh, gets shorter and access to patients uh, increases. And, and, and I think it's not just innovation on the technology side. 
I think we as a clinical community, we as innovators, we as people focused on helping patients and, and helping people also need to think about educational activities, increasing uh, the knowledge base uh, of patients out there uh, for whom an ablation uh, may, be, uh, may be advantageous. The perception uh, that the procedure is complex and hard and takes hours to perform, and even then it may not work. And you know, sort of the the mind the mindset uh, has to change as well uh, as part of this uh, innovative process. Mm, absolutely, um, I think that's really insightful um, on the subject. And I think as the medical technology um, becomes more accessible globally, um, I think that would be massive, particularly in more developing countries as well, um, which is of course. Uh, an important area not to neglect in terms of patients. Um, but I think it's certainly important to highlight that even though EPF has only been going three years or so, um, you guys have made a tremendous amount of progress uh, so far. Um, and your initial device is, or EPF's initial device is for radio frequency ablation. Um, however, there is a, a pulse field ablation or PFA model in development as well. Um, and you must know more than anyone, Avi, that PFA is certainly a hot topic of the EP world. Um, given the promising results so far, um, albeit with limited data. Um, but it comes as no surprise that the EP community is incredibly interested in the potential of this PFA technology. Um, in terms of the, I guess, the overall um, penetration of ablation being so low, around 3% or so, um, do you think that PFA uh, could impact this? Yeah, I mean, so so you brought up a number of, of important points that that um you know if you indulge me for a couple of minutes, let me let me start by going back to one of the early things that you you had mentioned is sort of the RFA piece versus PFA and and yes we we really did a lot of work leveraging the gold standard uh, which is radio frequency to understand the design. Uh, we have uniquely designed electrodes and and a uniquely designed electrode configuration. And we leverage what we understand most, radio frequency and the biophysics, the experience, the impact and effects of radio frequency on adjacent tissue and adjacent anatomic structures. We really have a, a fairly sizable uh, decades, you know, decades long of experience understanding uh, RF. We, we leverage that to design and develop our electrodes and our catheter, but we also designed and developed our catheter with the versatility and the flexibility to leverage both energy sources, both radio frequency uh, and pulse field. And it was deliberate. And, and uh, there are some real deliberate, unique features, uh, which hopefully we'll have time to sort of review. Um, but but the, you know, what I wanted to focus on was, yes, we leveraged our radio frequency experience and knowledge uh, in the design, but but PFA is is something that we understand is uh, is is hopefully the future. And so uh, will PFA change the, you know, the landscape? Um, is there excitement in PFA? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm excited about PFA. Uh, and, and to be honest, I, I am, I am hopeful uh, and excited. Uh, and, and I do hope that it is here to stay and all signs thus far look very promising. And, and, and one of the things that's, I think, important for people to understand is that much of the conversation about PFA focuses on the safety profile in that it's tissue specific, in that it uh, has minimal impact, hopefully on uh, adjacent and surrounding tissues. It's thought to be safer. And so the, the large emphasis has been on safety as well as efficiency. It's a very quick procedure in that 
the energy that's delivered during PFA burns very, very rapidly in microseconds. And therefore, the combination of a safe or safer procedure along with a uh, more efficient, more rapid procedure becomes attractive, uh, assuming that we can uh, achieve the goal of longstanding durability. Uh, again, that's that 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 has to be part of the equation as well. And so, so yeah, I, I'm hopeful that PFA will be a game changer. We will still need multiple tools in our toolbox, but but yes, I, I do hope that that PFA will be a game changer. Will allow for a safer, more efficient procedure, which in turn will uh, will will broaden the access uh, to this important. Therapeutic option. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we've all seen the massive acquisitions of PFA startups um, over the past 12 months in particular. In 2021, Boston Scientific obviously acquired Farapulse uh, and more recently, Medtronic acquired Affera for a deal close to $1 billion, um, which is massive. What impact do you think this will have on the future ma- market landscape? And what could this mean for companies who are perhaps solely focusing on RF or, or cryo? Yeah, you know, interesting questions. And yes, the market is a very fertile uh, and robust market. You know, but I think it's fair to say that innovation in the med tech space focuses on improving outcomes, improving, you know, patient care, improving efficiency, and and ultimately positively impacting uh, the increasing cost of the delivery of healthcare. And and I think that's where uh, much of the innovation stems from is knowing that we can always do better, uh, knowing that we have the ability to improve uh, and searching for a means to, to realize this goal, I think is, is what drives a lot of the innovation. And, and fortunately, and perhaps unfortunately, uh, this is an active and crowded space because people understand the unmet needs. People understand uh, some of the limitations of currently uh, available products. And, and don't get me wrong, uh, outcomes are, are great, um, but I think we always strive to do better. So I think that um, as long as we as a community have the same end goal in mind, improving patient care and patient outcomes, whether it's radio frequency, whether, it, whether it's pulse field, whether it's yellow, green, or white, you know, when the aim and the focus is on continuous improvement, helping patients, helping healthcare economics and the global healthcare environment, there's lots of, lots of room for uh, for innovation. And, 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 I, and I think that's really a fundamental concept to consider. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's interesting you touch on um, the toolbox. Um, some people could argue or definitely go down the line of thought that uh, PFA might be better than RF or might be better than cryo and make those uh, therapeutic options obsolete. Um, but I think it's important, as you rightly said, to look at it holistically. Um, it's important that physicians have a much larger toolbox and have the tools to do the job. It's not necessarily what's uh, better than the other, but what can work for each patient. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, you know, as much as we'd like to, to think that uh, one size fits all, uh, one size does not fit all. And just like uh, I suspect you wouldn't bring your fancy sports car to a mechanic who had uh, only one wrench that he or she used, uh, you, you, you'd for your own healthcare, want to go to the right uh, physician and, and uh, environment where uh, there, uh, there are options. And having multiple energy sources and forms, having multiple uh, iterations uh, of catheters, having numerous options for mapping and for characterizing the arrhythmia uh, becomes important. 
And knowing that there are many different arrhythmias out there, uh, knowing that there are some uh, in the atria, the upper chambers of the heart, some that are in the ventricles, the lower chambers, there are numerous uh, opportunities for which we need uh, as many tools as possible uh, um, to be able to improve outcomes. And, and, um, and again, if, if you look around at who is providing broad, deep, uh, and comprehensive care, these are often centers that have multiple tools within their toolbox to offer patients uh, because every patient is unique and more and more, and not just in this space, but in every space in medicine, personalized medicine uh, is taking the forefront. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so that marks the end of the podcast. Um, thank you very much, Avi, uh, for joining us. Um, it's been a real pleasure. Um, and you can learn more about Avi's company, um, Electrophysiology Frontiers, um, online, um, and certainly keep an eye on that company for sure. So that was my CM conversation with Avi Fisher, CEO at EP Frontiers. I'd like to thank Avi again for his time and the insight he provided on this fascinating topic. I hope anyone who is interested in any of the points we discussed during the podcast could gain some valuable perspectives from his role and experience within the industry. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, James Christopher. Bye for now.